0: morning's reading will come from the book of Matthew, chapter 19, verse 27, through chapter 20, verse 16. Matthew, chapter 19, verse 27, through chapter 20, verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do, you stand, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is the word of the Lord.
1: If you would keep your Bible open there to Matthew's Gospel. If you're just joining us, we are in the middle of a study of Matthew's Gospel. What we have found in the last couple of weeks is that Matthew has transitioned us to a section in the gospel where Jesus is addressing the disciples. He's getting them ready for his departure. So Jesus has told them a couple of times, I'm going to Jerusalem, I will die there, uh, but God will raise me from the dead. They don't really get to that point. They are in despair, but the kingdom is here. So this king is making a way for others to come in to the kingdom, that is the kingdom of heaven. And in the midst of that Declaring of a new kingdom. Jesus is training these disciples to be those who will be leaders. So when we get to the book of Acts, the disciples are taking the gospel to the nations. They're taking it to the world. And what I love about this section of uh, the gospels is I grab on to hope here because just like the disciples, I find myself so many times not getting it. They, again, in our text today, hear the message of the kingdom and Jesus is going to display to them show them through a parable and through their reaction and their actions that they don't get the kingdom which church gives me great hope because so many times in my own walk with Christ I find that Lord I have missed it again I don't get it my focus is wrong my desires are wrong Lord I need the spirit to transform me and to change me so through Matthew's gospel he's shown us over and over that the disciples they really don't get it until the resurrection you and I living post-resurrection, we need to be those who even this morning will focus on the great gift of our God, especially as we come to a text like this where Matthew is showing us a savior, a king, the master of the house, if you will, in the parable who is in his own sovereignty giving, lavishing upon us grace, the grace of of salvation. So in the disciples learning the principles of the kingdom, I want to bring us again today to learn the principles of the kingdom of God for two reasons. There are two levels again. I remind you Matthew through this section is bringing us to number one on a personal level. I want you to identify with the characters in the parable as well as the teachings of Jesus in this section of the gospel. But then we as a church, those who are making disciples, those who are charged with Uh, going to all nations and making disciples for our king we live by these principles because we are already in the kingdom of heaven and while the kingdom of heaven has not come in its full fruition yet you and I as believers in Christ live with a different ethic we live with a different rule a different uh, desire a different king and so as we serve king Jesus the bible's teaching us how to view one another how to live in relationship together and so in these principles Two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, we dealt with marriage and what that looks like in the kingdom. Then last week, we jumped in to the issue of wealth, which uh, is one of the biggest issues in our culture. How you and I tend to see wealth and we see material goods, we see money and those things, especially in our Western culture, as uh, one of the biggest idols that uh, is exposed here. Jesus spends more time dealing with money than almost any other subject in the New Testament. And why? Because it is a problem for. Us And so there is this idea this morning as we're talking about wealth and possessions. And by the way, wealth and possessions can be your idol if you have a lot of them or if you have none of them. How much money you have does not determine whether money is an idol in your heart or not. And so as we think about this idea and the warning that we get about salvation at the end of our text last week, I want to set this up to bring you into the middle of a conversation like we jumped into it in verse twenty. In Matthew chapter 19, there's a contrast between children who accepted God in their humility and dependence upon Him. And Jesus says, this is one that is acceptable to God. But then there's this contrast with a rich young man who is rejected by God in his self-sufficient trust in his own wealth and so he goes away sad and there is in verse 23 a conversation as this rich young man rejects the idea of selling all that he has and giving it to the poor and following Jesus. Jesus turns his attention to the disciples and begins a conversation with them and so last week in our text about wealth we made two primary points. Now I want you to get these because they set up our sermon for today. Number one, it is a delight to be blessed by Jesus as represented in the children. They were brought to Jesus. He blesses them. It's a delight for us to come to him with nothing. To come to him and say, Jesus, I have nothing that commends me to you. And Jesus blesses that dependence and humility. It's a delight to be blessed by Jesus. But because of the idolatry of wealth, The danger here is that there is for us a temptation for money and in such a danger to be rejected by Jesus. And so after that encounter with the rich young man who rejects Jesus and is rejected by Jesus, we come to Jesus turning to His disciples. Look at it in verse 23 with me of Matthew chapter 19. He says, "...Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven." Jesus turns to the disciples. He gives them then an illustration about the camel going through the eye of a needle to say it's impossible. The disciples are astonished at what he says. And they respond to Jesus, this is the question, who then can be saved? Verse 25, who can be saved? Jesus, if you don't accept this rich, morally upstanding ruler of our day, this guy that everybody would hold up and say, he's good. This is a good man. If you want to accept him, then who then can be saved? That's the question. And it should be the question that we're asking, and Jesus is using that kind of attitude of saying, this is a good guy. He's wealthy. He's a ruler. People look up to him. He's respected. And he wants to be a part of what you're doing, Jesus, and Jesus rejects him. And the disciples are saying, Jesus, if he can't be saved, who then can be saved? I want you to look with me at verse 26. The Bible says Jesus looked intently at his disciples as if to say, what I'm about to say to you is very, very serious. And look at what he says because it sets up today. With man, this is impossible. But with God, this is All things are possible. I don't think that I can overstate the importance of that statement in Matthew's gospel. With man, this, that is salvation. With man, it is impossible for us to merit, to earn any merit of ours cannot get us salvation so we need to understand salvation cannot be earned it can only be given by God there's no possibility of human merit it is all mercy it is all grace there's no amount of wealth no amount of influence no amount of good standing or even good deeds if we take care of others if we are kind to others we're honest gentle humble to others no matter how much good we do we cannot merit being able to get me or to get you into the kingdom of heaven. It's only God with whom all things are possible. So whether you're rich or poor, whether you're good or bad, salvation is a work of God. And so today, out of that statement with God, all things are impossible. With man, it's impossible. We come to understand the extravagant generosity then of the God who makes possible the impossible. The extravagant generosity of the God who makes possible the The impossible. So Jesus has looked at his disciples and said, This it is impossible with you, but not with me. Now, listen to what Peter says, verse 27. So Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then shall we have? Now, Remind you, Jesus had said to this rich young ruler, back up in verse 21, sell all that you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. So he has told him, trade treasures of earth for treasures of heaven. And Peter, even hearing this, that it's impossible for us to do it, but only God could do it, he comes back and what does he do? He does exactly what you and I would do. He focuses on Peter. But Jesus... I want you to look. look. Look at us, Jesus. We have left everything to follow you. So, so what will we have? Peter, again, in the midst of Jesus saying, it's impossible for you. He says, but look at all we've done. So what do we get? Peter misses it. Again, we can only assume that Peter's speaking on behalf of the disciples. Matthew recording this for us to tell us again. The disciples don't get it. So for those of you who struggle, you're like me. You're hard-hearted. You have to have it again and again. You have to ask forgiveness of God again. He has to teach us over and over. Take heart. Peter and the disciples were like this for many years before we were like this. And God took them and changed the world. So I need to hear this. Peter, again, coming out and just showing his, his um, uh, lack of getting what Jesus is teaching. He says, Jesus, we have left everything. And notice what Peter's really doing here, church. Peter's saying he's claiming to have done the impossible. We've left everything. Jesus just said it's impossible with you. And Peter says, we left everything. Now, be clear. Jesus had given rich young man this idea of trading earthly treasures for heavenly treasures. So I want to say the sacrifice of the disciples is real. But the point of this text is told to us down in verse 30, again in verse chapter 20, verse 16. The last will be first, the first will be last. Jesus is saying there is nothing that you can do. That if you're first, Peter, if you're first in sacrificing everything, it doesn't get you heaven. And if you're last in sacrificing everything, it doesn't get you heaven. What gets you heaven is the sovereign, extravagant generosity of our Savior. That is how you are saved so Peter does what we do he immediately focuses on himself look at what we've done and then he asks what we ask some of you come to church with this very question now you might not ever say it to the preacher but in your heart of hearts if you're honest before God and he knows already you come to church and you do good deeds for the same reason that Peter's asking his question Jesus look at how good I am look at what I've done look at what I've given up what do I get What do I get for it? And what Jesus is teaching Peter in verse 30 with this corrective is you're asking the wrong question. You're not understanding the kingdom of God quite yet, Peter. So Peter missed Jesus' point because salvation is impossible for man. However, what this text is going to focus on from that point on is the extravagant generosity of God is greater... It's greater than all of our sacrifice. The extravagant generosity of our God is greater than all of our sacrifice. So there's a contrast in this passage that I want us to see this morning, and that is a contrast between our ability to earn anything from God, reward, whatever you want to call it, and God's unmerited grace which gives us salvation and this extravagance of our Savior giving us eternal life. And so this morning I simply make two points for you and then I have three three statements of application. Two points from the text. Three statements of application. First, in verses 27 through 29, I want us to see that our reward in heaven, our reward in heaven of salvation, of eternal life, our reward is far greater than anything we could sacrifice in this life. Our reward in heaven is far greater than anything we could sacrifice in this life. In other words, let me say it as a matter of application to you. You and I can risk everything for Jesus. As the old song said, it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. But let me be clear this morning, friends. I don't think we come to this text in danger of risking too much. I think the text is really pointing out the fact that you and I are not risking sacrificing too much for Jesus. You might read the story of the rich young man and say, well, if we all did that, then the church would be poor and destitute and we would not have anything if we all just sold our goods, gave it to the poor and came and followed after Jesus. Certainly Jesus is not calling us all physically to do that. So let's be clear about this story. The Bible is not calling every Christian to do that. But don't err there and say, well, none of us need to do that. On the other side, the Bible is calling for a real sacrifice from this man. And so Jesus would say, if you will not do this for this man, you cannot be my follower. And he rejects him. So don't err on the side of, well, since everybody, nobody... Because what happens with this man is Jesus is exposing his heart and the idol of his heart is money. And so Jesus is calling him, will you denounce your money in order to follow me? And. The fact of the matter is, there are many of us that if our idolatry was exposed, if Jesus would just stand up here and say, here's what your idol is and call all of our names, you should already be familiar with yours. But many of us, Jesus would have to call materialism, possessions, maybe some one possession, maybe many possessions, maybe money, maybe security and finances. He would call that for many of us because we live in a culture. And I know because we live together that we don't give of ourselves, we don't give of our money. We're not at risk of giving too much, of selling too much for the cause of the kingdom of God. Good place for an amen, but not many people do it because it's true. Not many of us are in danger of being destitute and poor and being dependent on others in this church because we've sold so much or we've given so much for the cause of the kingdom. The fact of the matter is, the danger here is that we hold on to too much and really the danger, to be honest, is that we sacrifice nothing. <clears throat> Church, the reality of Christianity in our culture is, listen, we want to add Jesus to our life, but I'm going to keep my life. This is my life, Lord. Here's what I want. It's my jobs, my security my 401k it 's my savings account, it 's my possessions, and Lord, you can have all the leftovers. you can come in, you can be a part of that if you want to, and we come to church and we invite Jesus to be a part of our lives, and we 're happy with that kind of Christianity. But when Christianity gets like Matthew is presenting it from Jesus here that Christianity, Jesus, the gospel is not just something we add to our life, it is our life, then we don't want that kind of Christianity. and the fact of the matter is the Bible teaches from Matthew five when we saw this that there's a broad way and a narrow way, the Bible teaches us that when we stand before the judge, there are many who sit in churches Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday Sunday who will bust the gates of hell wide open and we will look at them just like the disciples looked at the rich young man and say, Jesus, you're going to reject them? Do you know how good they were? Do you know how influential they were? Do you know how well-liked they were? Do you know what they did, Jesus? And we will be astonished because there will be people that will not give everything everything they will not renounce themselves in order to live for Jesus and my friends if you are not willing to renounce yourself then you are not willing or accepted to live for Jesus we must give all of ourselves to the Lord and we are in no danger as the Christian church in the United States of America or even many places in our world of giving too much to Jesus Listen, Jesus calls for it all. And here's the point of this text. When you walk out of those doors today, I want it ringing in your mind that if I give everything for the king, it will be worth it. You will not regret that. So he talks in verse 28 and 29 very quickly about the blessings here. Jesus says some interesting things in verse 28 In his reply says to them truly I say to you in the new world that's a really interesting phrase it's really in the regeneration in the uh, when all things are made new he's talking about this wonderful time that we talk about creation being restored the new heaven and the new earth revelation calls it I love Jesus phrase here in the renewal and the regeneration and when I come and make all things new that tells me there's coming a time when this world will be made new there will not be the principles the the values that this world has gone after but it'll be the values of our God in that time when the renewal happens. And not only that is interesting, the second phrase is incredible. When the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne. This is the same Jesus who's told them three times that He's going to the cross. Next week in verse 17 of chapter 20, we're going to see that He's telling them the fourth time He's going to the cross. This same Jesus, whom they are desperate about and despair over because He's going to be killed, He is saying to them right here, when I sit on my glorious throne. It's not a question. It is a matter of when it happens. He is going to rise from the dead and he will sit on the throne forever. This is our king and a forever king, a forever kingdom. And he's saying when he sits on his throne to the disciples, you will be blessed. You will be judges. There will be 12 thrones for you. So we see a glimpse of the picture that we get in the book of Revelation when the elders are sitting around the throne. And here Jesus is saying the 12 disciples will sit on thrones and they will judge Israel. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2 says all the saints will reign. We will judge. We'll rule with Christ. So we'll all be in a sense with him, ruling with Christ. And here the disciples are blessed beyond measure. And Jesus is saying, yes, you've given up all of that. But you will reap reward. And when you see the reward of selling everything, giving everything, dying to self, renouncing yourself and coming after Christ, when you receive the reward, you will will not be disappointed. So it's blessings for you as disciples. Verse 29, blessings for everyone. He expands it. Verse 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father, mother, children, lands for my name's sake will receive. And he says two things. We'll receive a hundredfold. This is an incredible. This is why I call this extravagant generosity. There's no fathoming a hundredfold for what we've given. That's an incredible amount that, that we can't really fathom. What do we sacrifice? What would you give? You, I've heard preachers say it all the time. You can't outgive God. And you and I need to think about what we can give to the Lord, what we sacrifice, what we give up to Him. But He says, you will receive a hundredfold. Now that's a figure of speech, right? Because He says, give up mothers and fathers. We can't literally have a hundred mothers. We don't, we don't have a hundred mothers in heaven or a hundred fathers. Maybe figuratively we will. Certainly if you ask Caleb, he wouldn't want a hundred sisters. And his sisters wouldn't want a hundred brothers in heaven. Uh, That would make for an interesting household in the fights we already have, by the way. But it's a figure that Jesus is saying, you'll be blessed beyond measure in heaven. Jesus is saying to Peter, look at verse 30. starts out with, but. But, many who are first will be last in the last verse. What he says is, Peter, there will be incredible rewards and when the reward of the King comes to you, you will not even think of what you sacrificed here as a sacrifice. It will be so far-fetched from you that the blessings of salvation, the blessings of your inheritance of eternal life. So there's this hundredfold and then there's you will inherit eternal life. That will be so great that anything you sacrifice in this life will look like nothing. What is Jesus saying? Peter, that's coming, but you have missed the point. So verse 30, many who are first. Peter, if you think you're first in sacrificing, you'll be last. And many who are last will be first. Jesus is saying this is an upside down kingdom where God surprises us with His generosity and then He sovereignly chooses to whom he gives his reward. So this upside down kingdom, we've seen it before in this very gospel. If you want to gain, you must lose. If you want to live, you must die. If you want to be great, you must be a servant. If you want to be first, be last. And if you're first, you'll be last. That's what he says in verse 30. That's what he says in verse 16 of chapter 20. Peter I need to correct your perspective on you and on others. The reward is so extravagant, Peter, that the sacrifice could never, number one, earn it, nor be anything to you when you receive the reward. The first or the last, it's all grace of God. So he says, you'll not get to heaven. My friends, listen, you'll not get to heaven, none of you. And think, I sacrificed that pleasure? For this? I gave up that in my life to get this? You'll never receive the salvation, the Spirit of God who is the down payment. Even walking here, when you receive Christ and God sends His Spirit to indwell you, my friend, you will not think, I gave up comfort to have this? My friends, the Spirit of God indwelling you is priceless to you. I gave up riches for this. I gave up power for this. You'll never think that. The reward is so wonderful and so extravagant and so great that we'll go to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you. And the sacrifice will pale in comparison. So what Jesus is teaching us is that whatever you sacrifice will look like nothing compared to the incomparable riches of His grace and being in His presence. And So what does He do? He tells us a parable to illustrate that. He tells us a parable in chapter 20, the first 16 verses. Now let me say something as a matter of introduction to the parable. There have been some, I believe, confusion about the parable and some erroneous thinking about this parable because Jesus is teaching about His grace. He's teaching about His sovereign grace upon us. And there are those that that teach that the point of this parable is something that it's not. So let me give you three things that this parable is not teaching. Number one, it's not teaching that some can do more in in one hour than others can do in all day of working. Now I know some of us think that, and that's a result. That's one of the reasons this parable is given to us. Because some of us think, well that person, you know, they they deserve a little bit from God, but uh, I could do more in ten minutes than they could do in ten years. This parable is not teaching us that in relative to the kingdom of God. Secondly, the parable is not teaching us that the willingness of the latecomers, those who come at the eleventh hour, is the same as the willingness of those that came in the early times, so they deserve the same pay. That's not what it's teaching. Because it's surprising, it's overwhelmingly surprising, that God would pay what He paid at the end, or the Master would. And then thirdly, the, the, the parable is not teaching us that all kingdom work is equal, and thus deserves equal award. Reward, excuse me. And so it's not just saying, well, if you do this much or that much, it doesn't matter. All kingdom work reserves. It It's pointing to the king. This parable is about the master. So my prayer for us today is that in the moments we have left, we would focus on the extravagance of our master and his work. The point is the surprising nature of the generosity of the master, which is compared to the perceived injustice and complaints of the first workers. The surprising nature of the generosity of the master compared to the perceived injustice and complaints by the first workers. So, Jesus uses an everyday situation. It's a man who has a vineyard and he needs some workers, and so he apparently doesn't have enough servants in his home. Maybe he doesn't have any servants in his home or working for him at this time. And so he goes to the marketplace to find these workers, which is their common custom. He goes out early in the morning. Nothing strange here. It's just an everyday situation where this man goes to the marketplace where workers congregate. He finds some workers, verse 2, and he agrees with them. He comes up with a contract with them, and they contract to work for a denarius a day. And so he sends them into his vineyard. 6 a.m. Is the normal start time, they go work a 12 hour day and they agreed on the price, so you go and work in the vineyard. The master happens to be back at the marketplace at 9 a.m. He sees some more workers in the marketplace that had not been hired out early in the morning, so he says to them, Why don't you go too into my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right? Notice the phrase there, I will pay you whatever is right. And so he makes a promise to them. And the Bible says he repeats this at 12, at 3, and at 5. So he's hired workers that started at 6, At 9, at 12, at 3, and now at 5 p.m. The ones at 5 p.m. start in verse 6, about the 11th hour. He goes back and he finds others standing. I want you to note this. And he says to them, why do you stand here idle all day? Because no one has hired us. So he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And so they go. The surprise then comes at the end of the day. Which brings us to our second point today. The extravagant reward of our God is a reflection of His sovereign grace. The extravagant reward of our God is a reflection of His sovereign grace. Before we go there, let me show you how extravagant and surprising this is. Some of you were here a couple of weeks ago when I mentioned my Incredible basketball skills that got me benched when I was playing a game and was shooting in the wrong basket. So you can imagine uh, after that, when we were picking teams for a pickup basketball game, I was not the first person picked. Uh, it's pretty obvious, I'm not very tall. Uh, Then it became obvious I was not very good at the game. I didn't even understand the game. And so when we picked up teams, I I don't know that I was ever the absolute last person picked. I might have been. I just choose to repress all those memories. Um, But I was not the first person picked by any means you probably have been in a situation where you have either been the one picking teams or you've been standing there waiting to be picked for a team. Can you imagine these workers standing there? They have nothing, All right. So think about Jesus' day. It wasn't like our welfare state today. There's no just hitting up the government for food. If you didn't work, you didn't eat. There was no welfare system. So they were there wanting to work and these people are sitting there and they had been hired out at 6, at 9, at 12, at 3, and at 5 o'clock clock with only one hour left these folks are still sitting there waiting to be hired out and you can imagine what they must look like they weren't picked at six they weren't picked at nine they weren't picked at noon they weren't picked at three and they're still sitting there waiting to be hired these literally are the last not only literally because it's 5 p.m literally because no one would want to pick them and the generosity of this master looks at them and says why don't you go to Church, I am that person. I have nothing to commend me before our God. And he chooses and says, why don't you come and be a part of my vineyard? They're literally the last. And so here's the surprising nature. They work for one hour and the master comes and says, I want you to do something. Those that started work last, I want you to pay them first. What's he doing? He wants everybody to see what he's about to do. And he wants us to see it. And so he comes and he brings them forward and the the foreman pays those who had just worked one hour a denarius. Man, can you imagine? Can you imagine the people that had been working from 6 a.m.? They'd worked 12 hours. These people worked One hour. So if I worked for you for, let's just say you decided you're going to hire somebody and you say, hey, I'll hire you for $100 a day. Man, I'm in. Let's work. $100 a day. Let's go. And then you hire somebody at 5 o'clock and they work one hour and you pay them and you hand them a $100 bill. I'm thinking, man, what am I going to get? I've been here all day long. This is going to be good. We made, I'd be talking to the folks beside me, we made the right choice today. This is a good day. Right? That's what you'd be thinking. You know you would because you think it's only right if somebody works an hour that he's going to pay me more than that. I work 12. So I don't know that I would be expecting $1,200, right? But I might be expecting more, maybe six or seven, maybe two or three, just something more if they've only worked that way. And so he goes down, those who work, From 3 p.m. on, gives them $100. Man, that's still incredibly generous. Can you believe this guy? He has everything. He's going to give us something big time, guys. We've been here since 6 a.m. Through the heat of the day. 12 p.m., guys, $100. 9 a.m., $100. 6 a.m., $100. Now, what happens? They see that this is unjust. Now, if you were honest, church, you would be there. If you were the ones that have been there since 6 a.m., you would say, this is unjust. There's a surprise that he pays the last first, but then that he pays them a denarius. You see, if he gave them that, what's he going to give us? They are calculating. You and I calculate. We look at others and say, man, if they only worked an hour, I worked all day, what am I going to get? It's the same question Peter asked. What are you going to do for us? What do we get, Jesus? We've given, we've left everything. What are you going to do for us and we start calculating but my friends God is uncalculating he is just gracious and aren't you glad lest you come to this and say I want what I deserve then you're in trouble if you go to our king and say I want what I deserve because he doesn't give any of us what we deserve You see, the point of this parable is God doesn't operate on an economy of desserts. He operates on an economy of grace. And aren't we pleased with our master and grateful? The reward was much more than they expected for the first, and so it raised their expectations. So look at verse 11. When they get to them, verse 11, they grumbled at the master of the house. Comparing themselves to others meant, made them come to say, I deserve more than we agreed upon because I worked more than they did. Now listen, let's be clear. Jesus is not laying out principles for business practices here. Some of you are businessmen in here and you know that any union would cry foul here. You know that if you were to do this, that your business would go under. Tomorrow morning, if you went to get workers at 6 a.m., there would be nobody there. Nobody wants to work from 6 to 6 When they could work from five to six for the same exact amount. You would go in under in your business if you did this. So Jesus is not laying out principles to say, guys, here's how to conduct business. Jesus is making a point here. And the point is the generosity of the king in the kingdom of heaven. The principles of the kingdom of heaven are not the principles of the earth. Jesus doesn't operate, operate on the calculations of the earth. He operates on the calculations of heaven, which we are thankful for, and we need to glorify God for it. He's highlighting the generosity of the master, and he does so in his master's response to those that complained. Friend, he says, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me, Ferdinand? Did we not have a contract? Take what belongs to you and go. Listen, here's the phrase. I choose to give to this last worker, as I give to you. Here's the point. It is God's sovereign choice to give and He's chosen to give incredibly extravagantly. My friends, He gave His Son that we could inherit eternal life. So there's nothing that you give up that doesn't end in this incredible generosity of our King The point is this, the kingdom of heaven is not like and not ruled like the principles of the kingdom of this world or its businesses. It's grace. It's God's grace. It's grace that rules in God's kingdom, which means God's sovereign bestowal of honor and inheritance is given and it's up to his own choosing and he's chosen to send his son. He didn't give us what we deserved. He gave us what we did not deserve. He gave us in grace. The fact that the master chose the first workers to go into the field and work was grace. The reward they received was just. And when they saw the grace given to someone else, then they came back and they said, this is not just. And Jesus says, or the master says, we had had an agreement, it is just. So my friends, the, the point here is the grace of our great God given to us. He's chosen To give us this great reward. So, finally, three applications and I'll be done. Friends, number one, in light of eternity, in light of the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus, in light of what God has chosen to do in Christ, I beseech you, I commend you to, I admonish you, beg you, risk everything and anything For this king. My friends you cannot risk too much. Of who you are. Of what you have. For this king. Risk it all. So let me make it very practical for us this morning. If indeed you agree with me. That we're not in danger of risking too much. We're really in danger of holding on to too much. Then I want you to. In our time of prayer in just a moment. Maybe even right now the spirit's working on you. I want to give you this Application, would you look at your time, your talent, and your treasure and say, God, what could I sacrifice more for you? What would I give for the darkness in Turkey to have light? You see, for some of us, it's just going to mean we may give more of our treasure. For some of us, it means we give more of our time. What could you do in this community, in this church, in uh, your job? What could you do to give of your time to sacrifice for the Lord? But for some of you, it may be like this rich young man. You sell everything and move to Turkey or, or Lamina. What would you give? To sacrifice for this king. And I'll say it again. It doesn't matter what you give. It doesn't matter what you sacrifice. In that day. When all things are made new. You will not regret it. Do not walk out of here letting the enemy lie to you again. That your hope, your pleasure, your comfort, your treasure is here. Because my friends. You need to be willing to risk everything. For what you cannot lose. So. Here's what I want to say to you, David Platt. I'll quote him. The question for us is whether we will live for short-term pleasures we cannot keep or long-term treasure we cannot lose. Friends, why do we give up so much of our lives and so much of our sacrifice for the king to hold on to things that we cannot keep? Why would we not let them go for things that we cannot lose? What of your time, treasure, and talents? Be specific. I'm challenging you. Be specific before the Lord. Lord, this is the time that I want to sacrifice for you. This is the treasure that I want to sacrifice for you. This is my talent, what you've gifted me with, that I want to give to you. Some of you, it means a difference in tomorrow. Some of you, it means a difference in your planning so that you could move and give up your life here, give up your houses and lands and comforts, and you'll go overseas, or you'll go to Baltimore to church plant. What would you give? give up in light of eternity risk everything for this king number 2 avoid comparisons both of our work and our rewards what got these folks in trouble is they had made an agreement with the master but then they started comparing themselves to others and they were comparing both their work and their reward you see they were comparing their work we went through the heat of the day lord We went through hardship, Lord, and they only worked an hour. They worked in the cool of the day. They were only there from five to six. So they were comparing their work, and then they were comparing their rewards. Well, we got the same thing for for different work, and this is not fair. Shouldn't we get a bigger reward? Shouldn't I be rewarded more? Listen, church, fight in your life against the tendency, the temptation to compare yourself with others. If you want to compare yourself and your sacrifice, if you want to come before the Lord and say, Lord, you're blessing them and I know I'm better than they are. I know I've given more than they've given. I know that I love you more than they love you. Here, if you want to compare yourself to someone, here's what the text tells us for over and over and over again. Compare yourself to Jesus. And then come to Him and say, Jesus, I've given more than you. I deserve a little more. Avoid, fight against. The tendency to compare yourself to others. Both your work and your reward. The sovereign master extravagantly rewards. And listen, you will not ultimately be disappointed with his reward. Our God delights in giving extravagantly to his people. Just as he, Matthew 5, lavishly clothes the lilies of the field and takes care of the birds of the air. He feeds them. He delights even more in caring for you. Trust him. Lose everything. Risk it all for Him. And by the way, when we compare, have you ever noticed in your own life that when we demand justice, which is what these people are doing, they're demanding justice, have you ever noticed that when we demand justice it's normally because we believe that we deserve more and someone else deserves less than they're getting? Avoid comparisons. Number three, very quickly, reflect the extravagant generosity of our Lord. In your relationship with others. Reflect the extravagant generosity of our Lord. In your relationships with others. Live like this. You see that's getting it. Peter didn't get it. So in other words here's what I'm saying. Be last. Make others first. In your life. Peter didn't get it. He said Lord what do we get? And Jesus says Peter. The first are going to be last. And the last are going to be first. Now let me be clear. I firmly believe the disciples got it. Why? Read the book of Acts. Every one of them gave everything. And they lost everything, including their lives, for the cause of the kingdom. And the call for us is to come and die for the cause of the kingdom. Would you renounce you for Jesus? And then in your relationships with others, would you be willing to be last in order for somebody else to be first? Would you extravagantly love and be generous to others? In other words, let me put this in real terms for maybe your pastor here. Would it be that this week as you're driving and someone cuts you off, you would think in your life, instead of doing whatever you normally do to them, um, you would say, I would gladly yield the road. Would it be that in someone speaking rudely to you or mistreating you in a restaurant or in a store, that you would respond, rather than responding in kind with rude words, you would respond in grace and kindness? Would you reflect the extravagant generosity of our king in your relationship to others? I close with this statement. My friends, the point of this text is that God owes me nothing but gives me everything. And he's done so for us.